This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we have just gotten through the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and that is what we're going to talk about. That and only that. And But there is plenty to talk about. There were 47 prospects who are either ranked at the time that they were traded or have been ranked since they were traded uh, in the days leading up to the deadline. Of course, the big one that everybody was talking about leading up to the deadline, and we will now analyze now that it finally happened, the big Juan Soto trade. It did, in fact, happen. There was some question as to whether the Nats would pull off a deal, and they did. That is done. Let us analyze it. We'll open up with that. We're going to also, as we always do, wrap up by answering some questions from the mailbag. We're going to have a bit of an extended mailbag segment as several people had questions regarding the trade deadline that they wanted answered. So uh, we'll do that at the end of today's episode. Guys, let us dig in to the big one. We talked about it quite a bit leading up to the deadline, came down not quite to the, I don't, I don't know if you'd say the wire, but it was the deadline day and Juan Soto. And then there was the surprise element uh, the day of, was that Josh Bell was gonna be included too. Padres land Soto, give up a hefty chunk of young talent, first of all, Going into it, were you guys convinced that that the deal that there would be a deal made? Yeah, it sounded like it. I mean, and I mean, Jonathan and I split up. We were kind of on call to MLB Network for the trade deadline. I had the morning shift because Jonathan was out in the West Coast still, and I can't remember if it was Joel Sherman or John Palmarosi or somebody, but somebody at like nine a.m. Central Time was like, "It's definitely happening today," and, and, and it just seemed like it seemed inevitable. I don't think they should. I, I, we can, we'll talk about this. I, those trades never work out good for the team that trades the superstar, a young superstar. But, but I do get the whole concept of the team's about to be sold. And if I'm the new owner, I don't want to buy the team and then say, we can't afford Juan Soto and then trade him. I want you to trade Juan Soto now. So when I buy the team, the fans could be mad at the learners rather than me. And so that's why I felt like it was kind of inevitable that he was going to get traded. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah, and no, I think so. I hadn't really thought about the timing of the ownership change. Um, so I, I had a half a minute. I was like, well, if the right deal doesn't come their way, you know, maybe they wait till the off season. They had the, the benefit of some time. Obviously, teams that are competing now, adding Juan Soto's bat, that adds some value. So I, I, I felt maybe a touch less confident that it was going to happen, but I think it's mostly just because I hadn't hadn't really contemplated uh, what you said, Jim, about you know the the new ownership not wanting to be the, the bad guys uh, in effect. So uh, that that makes a, a whole lot of sense, uh, and it certainly created a lot of excitement. And to their credit, I mean, I do I do think what you said, Jonathan, is true. I don't think the Nationals were just going to trade him for the sake of trading him. 
if they didn't get an offer that they liked, they could have waited. But I think, you know, again, we could talk about whether or not you're better off holding on to your superstar trading him. But I do think Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, did a nice job of leveraging a lot of young talent from the Padres. And, you know, I think he was helped by the fact that a year ago, A.J. Preller and the Padres thought they were getting Max Scherzer from the Nationals. Ken Rosenthal, who has a higher standard of reporting than all these guys on Twitter who care about being first, actually had the deal being pretty much done and was wrong because he wound up with the Dodgers. And I just don't think A.J. Preller was going to lose out again. Like, and I, and I think Rizzo probably knew that, and that's why they were able to get the package they got because basically A.J. Preller wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah, it seemed like coming down to the final day there, the Dodgers and Padres uh, were two of the final contenders. Cardinals seemed like they maybe dropped off a bit at the end when they there was talk that they would not include Dylan Carlson in a package. Uh, did you guys feel like going into that final day it was either the Padres or the Dodgers, or did you think that it was a, a wider field than that? I thought it was those. It was largely those two. You know, you always kind of leave that door open for that surprise team to come swooping in. Um, but I, I just didn't think, you know, I think the Dodgers had the the best system to deal from, you know, uh, in terms of high-end players and depth. And the Padres had the willingness to, you know, to cash in all their, you know, all their chips. Um, so, you know, th- th- those two did make the most sense, especially, as you said, Jason, like when the Cardinals didn't want to part with, uh, you know, a young big leaguer like Dylan Carlson, you know, that that there was a limit to how much they could offer from a prospect standpoint. Um, they would have had to give up some, well, you know, frankly, you know, not quite the caliber of C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, but, you know, young players at the big league level. And, uh, you know, there were very few other teams who could – you know, because it's not just trading for Juan Soto; it's trading for Juan Soto, and even just being able to afford him for the, you know, for the next two years. Even if they don't sign him to an extension now, maybe a team could bring him in and then trade him again a year from now. Uh, you know, if the Padres aren't able to figure something out, maybe we see that happen. But I, I felt that those two teams made the most sense. I think that's well said, Jonathan. I think the Cardinals were involved for what it sounded like, but they were not – I don't think the Cardinals had the financial resources or quite the depth of the Dodgers, although they do have a lot of young talent, especially if you factor in the major leaguers too. And they didn't have the we'll do whatever it takes attitude of the Padres. So it just seemed like they were more kind of the fallback maybe if those deals fell through and Mike Rizzo felt like we've got to move Soto today – then maybe the Cardinals would have resurfaced, but it sounded like it was going to come down to to LA versus San Diego in the end. And you said, Jim, that they, you know, San Diego was willing to put all their chips in. Let's talk about the chips now. Um, you mentioned a couple of the players in Mackenzie Gore and CJ Abrams, who, of course, are no longer technically prospects in terms of, uh, you know, still having their rookie eligibility. Uh, they graduated from prospect lists earlier this year, but we are, and probably anyone listening to this podcast is well acquainted with them in terms of uh, you know 
their their level of prospect stardom. They were both top ten overall prospects in the game of baseball at one point. Uh, Abrams going into this year, Gore of course has had a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of his prospect status. But you get those two guys, and then uh, a couple more top one hundred prospects in Robert Hassel the third and James Wood who ranked number 21 and number 88 in baseball and were the uh, Padres' number one and three prospects. And then another player in Yarlan Susanna, who was only number 14 on the Padres' list, but uh, another intriguing player, younger guy, huge, and has been very, very good and, and very limited action, but a lot of intrigue there, bit of a flyer, I guess. Well, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, he's a flyer because he's young, but he was the best pitcher on the international market this year. And at 18, he's already throwing upper 90s with an upper 80s slider. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's more unknown with him because he doesn't have track record, but uh, he's a pretty exciting dude. I'm conferring full dude status on, on Susana along with all the other guys in the trade, except for Luke Foyt. <laughs> yeah, so... Hassel, Wood, and Susanna move over uh, to the Nats list where they become Washington's number one, four, and eight prospects. And, and I'll say this. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt again. We haven't revamped the list yet, our top 100 list, which will come later in the month. So the top 100 guys are kind of locked into where they are in the current list. I think you could make a case that James Wood is – their first or second best prospect now, whatever order you want to put him in with Robert Hassel. I know the Padres, there were guys in the Padres organization who thought James Wood was better than Robert Hassel. Um, so, I mean, that might be their top two guys because it's not like Cade Cavalli and Brady House are, are covering themselves with glory this season in the national system. Cavalli has been better lately. Um, well, let's talk about uh, each of these guys. Uh, I don't know how much time you want to spend on Abrams and Gore. They're... Uh, you know, we've seen them in the big leagues, talked about them obviously extensively over the years. Uh, but if you want to touch on them, and well, let's focus on uh, the other three pieces too that the uh, Nats get here. Jim doesn't like to talk about Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, well, I, it's funny. I just wrote about all these guys in my newsletter, so I've got prepared remarks. But uh, Jonathan, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to go first, not just about Mackenzie Gore, like why don't you go first and then I'll chime in. That's fine. I mean, I'll just say quick, you know, Gore and and, and Abrams are are. Just you know, just establishing themselves, uh, a ways to go. And you know, Gore was pitching very well when he first came up. You know, after the roller coaster, as you pointed out, Jason, but and has not been pitching well of late. Um, you know, Abrams has unbelievable upside. Rushed to the big leagues. You know, I think he got up a little faster than than people thought he might. Kind of on the same timeline as Bobby Witt Jr. But I think they're both going to continue to figure it out. Hassel, you know, is a guy who's always been able to hit. The power hasn't shown up a ton. It's a little bit, you know, good extra base ability, but not a ton of over-the-fence power. And I think that's going to determine just how good he is. Futures gamer, good base runner, plays good defense, uh, you know. But it's kind of a, that hit-over profile, hit-over-power profile sort of makes you, you wonder a little bit what Wood uh, has a higher, you know, a higher – ceiling than than hassle for sure yeah and it's, and it's interesting because it's like you can look at this trade 
with prospect colored glasses and, and be a Nationals fan and dream that all these guys are going to be stars because, you know, Mackenzie Gore gave up eight runs in his first nine big league starts and showed why at one point he's considered the best pitching prospect in the game. Abrams and Hassel are outstanding hitters with a lot of tools. Um, you know, Abrams has top of the scale speed for one. They also have some defensive versatility. Woodhead won the highest ceilings in last year's draft. Sisana was the best pitcher on the 2021-22 international market. But then the flip side of it is, if you go back and look, I'm sure we're going to talk about prospect halls for other mega trades later in the podcast. These guys are prospects. They're not sure things. And right now, not only was Gore not pitching well, Gore, Gore's got a strained elbow right now. He, he's hurt. Abrams, you know, I know he's young and I know he got rushed, but he's shown very little power or patience at the plate in the majors. You know, Jonathan pointed out Hassel might, you know, if he doesn't have more power, might be a floor guy rather than a ceiling guy. He has yet to play above high A. Wood has yet to play above single A. Susanna has to play, has yet to play above rookie ball. And, and so they're interesting, but I, I think, you know, if you look at the history of prospects, if two of these guys wind up being as good as the, as the Nationals hope, they probably did pretty well. Like, like that would be a good percentage. Um, and so you could dream big, and, and you have to if you just traded Juan Soto. But these trades don't usually pan out very well for the teams trading superstars. Did you guys think that – I mean, Jim, you said that you thought Rizzo did a, did a good job, so I guess the answer to this is yes. Did you, did you think that they got enough? Yeah, I thought they got as much as you were going to get. Yeah, I, I think he did a good job of maximizing the return. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, I don't know, I'm not involved in ownership level discuss- discussions in Washington, but this very well may, may have been, you know, Mike Rizzo was told, look, team's getting sold. The new owners, you know, don't want to have to take the heat for this. So we got to trade him now, make the best deal. And I, I will say like, like Jonathan, I'll ask you too, Jason, if we, I, I feel like they got more, like if you had asked me, okay, what do you think they're going to get? I think they got a little bit more than I thought they might've. Because again, people knew they wanted to trade Juan Soto. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. It's such an unusual situation. He's so young. You still have. You could keep him for two years, trade him at the trade deadline two years from now if you wanted to. If you can't sign him to, an, you know, to some sort of large extension, I don't know that I. You know, I, I think it was about right. I thought they. I thought he did very well, given that you know he may have been forced to trade him. He didn't just trade him because he had to. Uh, he got you know a really really big return for him, but I think because of who Juan Soto is, it was not like it didn't outstrip my expectations by that much. Well, I think both of those can be true, Jonathan. I think those are both good points. Like I think they got a pretty nice prospect haul. I don't know that like I'll be shocked if they win this trade when we look back at this trade in fifteen years. Like in in terms of what they, I mean, maybe you could say they won the trade. If, if Juan Soto was guaranteed to leave in two and a half years and a couple of these guys really pan out. But, but, I, but I kind of agree with both those points, Jonathan. Like, yeah, that's fair. I, I wouldn't have if, – if I had my choice, and again, I, I don't know what ownership's telling him, I'd rather have Juan Soto than trade him for, than, than trade him for anything <laughs> pretty much. Like right now, like you said, I've got two years to figure out new ownership. Maybe I can sign him. And, and you know, it, it's funny. You know, I know he turned down a 15-year, $440 million deal, but if I'm Juan Soto – I've already made you know tens of millions in my career already. I have some security. I'm going to clean up an arbitration for a couple more years, and you're offering me a 15 year deal with less than an annual average value than Anthony Rendon just got. 
who's six years older than me when he hit free agency and I'm a better player and I don't know what new ownership's going to do. Plus I'll ding the nationals a little bit here. They've taken a team that won the 2019 world series and turned it into garbage. Now it, it's, it's a bad team. Like all their best players have pretty much left. The one guy they held on to Steven Strasburg has been hurt ever since he signed a, a couple hundred million dollar contract. So if I'm Juan Soto, why do I want to take a below market? I, I have financial security already. I'm going to make at least 40 or 50 million in arbitration over the next couple of years. Why am I going to take a $440 million below market deal when I have no idea what the future of the team's going to look like? I'd rather retain my control to be able to play where I want, maybe play for a winner. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a weird situation. And, and, you know, yeah, I'm not the first person who said that, but I mean, this has been brought up a lot. I mean, the, the two biggest parallels when you're looking at super young superstar getting traded in baseball are Babe Ruth and Miguel Cabrera, who were both a year older. They were 24 when they were traded. And when the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth, they didn't have another winning season for 16 years. And when the, when the Marlins traded Cabrera and Dontrell Willis to Tigers for six players, the only time they made the playoffs was in the pandemic season when everybody made the playoffs. Marlins haven't made the playoff in a real season since then. So, and if you look at other sports, you know, teams making trades with superstars who are young usually doesn't work out very well. So it's not the, the fact that the nationals got to this point does not reflect well on the nationals. How about the inclusion of bell in the trade? I, I was surprised by that. And, you know, if you told me that the Padres gave up the players that they did just for Soto, I would have no problem believing that. It almost feels like Bell didn't have a lot of value in, in this trade. I think there was interest, and he's a nice fit for the Padres, but he's a pending free agent. And how many teams acquired a first baseman yesterday? I think the only or, – or at the trade deadline, I think the only team that really acquired a first baseman was the Red Sox, which was really an offshoot of this trade because the Padres tried to jettison Eric Hosmer in this deal – he invoked his no trade clause, which I would have too if I were Eric Hosmer. Why do I want to go to a bad team that has no shot at making the playoffs and is going to be terrible and I'm under contract for another three years? Um, the Red Sox acquired Eric Hosmer and two prospects for Jay Groom. I mean, they basically, and the Potters are paying all of his salary but the minimum. So the only other, I think, like everyday first base type who changed hands at, you know, around the deadline was Hosmer. Um, you know, Darren Ruff got traded and he's, I think going to be a platoon guy for the Mets. So I think that was just a case where maybe there wasn't a big Josh Bell market. I mean, I, I will say this, I mean, AG Preller never sleeps. So if there was a Josh Bell market <laughs> where he could have gotten more separate value from not including Josh Bell in this trade, then, I mean, I'm sorry. I said, I, I said this backwards. I, I got my teams confused. The national, I, Mike Rizzo works hard too. So I assume that Mike Rizzo explored the market for Josh Bell. And if he felt like he could have gotten a superior return, he would have done that. And, you know, maybe he was the lever to get the fifth player in the deal. Maybe they agreed on four players and were haggling over the fifth and, and he was the fulcrum for getting the fifth player in the deal. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of those trades. We're going to look at which systems improved the most with their trade deadline deals. And we'll talk a little bit about where this Juan Soto Hall ranks among the biggest prospect halls ever. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are a day removed from the trade deadline as we record this. We just broke down the big Juan Soto trade, and now we're going to move on to, uh, I guess, the next biggest trade at this trade deadline. And uh, I, I don't know, would would you have thought going into this deadline that this would have been the second biggest haul that, that Castillo would have yielded? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think he was the best pitcher on the market, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he was he was the the top pitcher on the market with an extra year of control. So you know, this isn't a two month rental here. So I think it, you know, it makes sense. All star pitcher, you know, deservedly so. I think it, it would. I, I so to answer your question directly, yes. In a word, yes. And the Mariners. Uh paid a pretty hefty price for Luis Castillo just uh, days before the deadline. Uh, they give up Noel V. Martinez and Edwin Arroyo, who were uh, the number team's number one and three prospects and both top 100 prospects, uh, along with Levi Stout, who was Mariners' number five prospect and another pitching prospect, not on the top 30 list, but Andrew Moore. Um uh, Obviously, Marte, the big one there, the number 17 overall prospect in baseball. Um, Jonathan, these are both teams uh, that you manage in terms of their prospect lists. Uh, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, while it didn't surprise me that this was the, that Castillo was the player who got the, the sort of second largest uh, amount of prospects. I don't know that I would necessarily thought it would be two top 100 guys. Uh, you know, I thought maybe it would be one top 100 guy in you know depth kind of thing because the Reds are clearly you know they're really trying to restock. They're they're looking for quality and quantity. Uh, so you know, I give them credit in this trade. I, I thought this was you know a, a good trade for them. You know, and it may be a very good trade for the Mariners because they got the starter that they needed for for a playoff push. A team that's you know very talented, uh, you know Marte, we had ranked much higher. We knocked him down a little bit during one of our corrections because he was struggling. Uh, he had been really figuring things out and very young for his level. And then uh, Edwin Arroyo, you know, <laughs> is really interesting. I'm very curious to see what happens with him because this was a guy coming out of the draft. Was a guy who was like he can really play shortstop, makes a lot of contact. But, you know, severe lack of strength, worry about the impact. And he's really hit well with, with some impacts. You know, he, he's, he's worked on adding strength already. I think there's going to be more to come. And he continues to show that he's going to play shortstop for a long time. Well, Marte probably moves to third or maybe move him to the outfield. But he's such a talented offensive player. Uh, you know, so that those two players alone make this like a really exciting trade for the Reds. And then, you know, Levi Stout's a, an interesting arm, you know, even if, 
uh, you know, even if he ends up being a reliever. And even Andrew Moore is sort of interesting as the fourth guy who was not ranked in the Mariners list and I didn't add him to the Reds list, but he's he's someone worth watching uh, as someone who, uh, you know, as a draftee from last year, put up good numbers in the draft league. Um, he does some things, you know, that are sort of interesting on the mound. Uh, so uh, I thought that the Reds got as much a return as you could expect for Luis Castillo here. Yeah, I thought they did really well in that one. I think that was a, a case maybe, Jonathan, where the Mariners have the biggest postseason drought, I think not just in MLB, but in the four major North American sports leagues. Um, and so they were a little bit more highly motivated than it might have been. And as you noted, it's not just a rental. You know, you keep Castillo going forward. They still have a lot of young talent. Um, so I, I, I like that. I really like that trade for both teams. It was, I mean, shocked that Jerry Depoto made an aggressive move, right? I mean, he never does that. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I thought that was like a real shot in the arm. And it's going to make them tough. It can make them tough in the playoffs. And if I'm the Reds, like that package, when I saw the package, my initial reaction was like, wow. The Reds got even a little bit more than I might have suspected there. All right, let's move on down the list. By the way, we should mention here that um, talked about the 47 prospects who were traded. Uh, Sam Dykstra has been uh, following along with all these trades uh, over the course of the past week or so um, and was – at the ready to spit out a full ranking of all 47 of the prospects who were traded in these deals uh, leading up to the deadline. So you can find that on MLB.com slash pipeline. Sam is always doing an excellent job there. Um, do we move on to what's the next one you guys want to talk about? The Yankees acquiring Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. Yeah, yeah, because Montas after right, uh, Jim. I mean, after Castillo, Montas was the next best. I mean, when the Yankees missed out on getting Castillo, they clearly turned their sights to getting Montas. Yeah, and they got Lou Trevino in the trade, who who's been up and down a little bit, but has had some success in the past. And and uh, you know, I don't think. I mean, again, it's it's not exactly apples to apples because of contract situations and everything, but it was an okay trade. Like I. It didn't blow me away. The Athletics Hall didn't blow me away. I thought that was a good trade for the Yankees. I really like Ken Waldachuk. He's a top 100 guy. Doesn't seem like anybody hits his fastball, which has great carry in the strike zone. He's got secondary pitches as well. Probably, you know, big league ready. So I, I like that aspect of it. I'm not sure, you know, the, the other guys were all interesting. I do our Yankees prospect list. Like Louis Medina, you know, if we, we, we joke sometimes when we do our one for each team stories, I always joke when we don't have a topic like, hey, let's do uh, the prospect fatigue one fet guys we're tired of writing about. And and Luis Medina Luis has some of the best stuff in the minors, like the fastball can get triple digits, wipe out breaking ball, wipe out change up. And he's never really thrown consistent strikes. And, and he's this has been his M.O. for years now. And I think he might be a reliever in the long run, even though he has some of the best pure stuff in the minors. You know, J.P. Sears is, is a – a lefty who, you know, the, the stuff doesn't blow you away in terms of the radar gun, but he can pitch. Um, he's kind of the crafty lefty. He's interesting. Cooper Bowman was a guy they drafted last year out of Louisville who, who's got some tools to him. But I, I think like, I, I guess, I guess why I didn't, this trade didn't blow me away. Say like the, the Castillo trade is, is I just think in the long run, Medina's probably a reliever at best. I just, waiting too long for him to throw enough strikes to where you really believe he's a starter. And Sears is more of that 
pitches over his stuff guy, end of the rotation, multi-inning reliever guy. Like Waldachuk might be the only guy who's who's like a significant big leaguer to me in this deal. Yeah, I think this was more uh, a a quantity over quality, and not you know the, the as you said they're all interesting prospects, but the, there was no no LV Marte in this deal. But I also think you know that Castillo. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like Castillo's rated a good notch yep. ahead of Montas. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it was more appropriate for what they, you know, what they were getting in terms of the, the tiers of starting pitchers. And there were, there was not a lot of starting pitching on the market to be had. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe the A should have held out a little bit more, but uh, we don't know what they were getting offered. And, you know, they obviously at, they added a bunch of talent to a fairly barren system, uh, after the lockout and, uh, but all, all those guys got added to their top 30. So you know, they still have work to do. So, uh, the, the positive for, for the A's is that they did get four top 30 players. Um, you know, many of whom are at the upper level. So should help out whatever role they are, they end up being in, whether, you know, starter or reliever, what they end up being in utility guy for Bowman Bowman's a little bit further away, but the, you know, the, the arms they got, are all guys that should help within the next year. All right. So that covers uh, another top 100 prospect in Waldachuk, who was traded. Uh, another one, and these first two deals that we've discussed have been sort of a bunch of prospects for big leaguers. And this one was a single top 100 prospect for a couple of big leaguers in Jordan Groshans, who goes from Toronto to Miami for Zach Pop and Anthony Bass. Groshans, number 82 on the top 100 prospects list, was number four on the Blue Jays list. Uh, was this a, a surprise, or you know, what, what were your general impressions of this deal? Well, as our Marlins guy, I mean, you know, the, what Toronto is doing is getting some bullpen depth there. You know, Anthony Bass is having a nice year. Uh, you know, he's, a, I think, a 1-4-1 ERA strikeout and inning. Um, you know, Zach Pops got a nice arm as well. Um, so the Blue Jays were adding bullpen help. You know, Groshans, I, I don't think we haven't done the re-rank yet. I don't think he's going to make the midseason top 100 because he just hasn't hit for power the last two years. I still like him. I still like the idea of, of buying low on him. I mean, if, if, if you had suggested this trade would have been made a year ago, we all would have laughed and said, come on, like, there's no way that trade's going to get made. But, you know, Groshans, even though he, he hasn't hit for power the last two years, still only 22 years old, he's already reached AAA. He hasn't played a lot because of injuries in the lockout. He's only played 218 games. So it's not like he's got 600 games under his belt and, and you're worried that the power is never going to come. I, I like the idea of buying low. Like to me, if I'm a team that doesn't have a chance to win, relievers are, are so volatile in terms of like, you never seem like you have enough relief help if you're trying to win. But how many relievers are really good year after year after year? It's like they're good one year, then not as much the next, then they bounce back some. They're all over the place. I would always trade, you know, non-elite relievers. I would sell high on them every trade deadline. And I think we saw a number of the non-contenders do that. So I, again, I don't know exactly what Jordan Groshans is, but but I'll I'll buy low on him if I'm the Marlins and see what I can do with him. Yeah, I think even if there is, you know, a, a sample and a sort of a little bit of a down arrow next to his name, uh, you know, this year because he's really not 
been particularly impactful offensively for for a reliever as you said like i i, I think it's certainly worth the the gamble like i think he's going to play in the big leagues uh, just because of that field of hit it's just a question of will he you know have enough thump to play every day probably a third base when all is said and done or is he more of a utility guy but even if you get a big leaguer for a reliever i i think that's a good get you guys are saying that uh the blue jays got pop for a guy without much pop that's what you're saying that is that one, is what we're saying. one home run this year uh 644 OPS for Groshans. Uh, coming off his first three seasons where he posted OPS of 799, 909, and 817. So significant drop off in this is fourth professional season. All right. Uh, let's see. what's Who's up next? Our next top 100 prospect who was dealt was Logan O'Hoppy, who uh, – was dealt to the Angels from the Phillies for Brandon Marsh. Uh, Two another... Jonathan systems, right? Yeah. I've got a hot a... take when you're done with this one, though, but, but I will defer to you first. I think I know what it is, but uh, Jonathan. Well, you ahead. know, because I say this all the time. Yeah. But... <laughs> yes. You know, no, I think we need to hear the hot take first. Okay. Well, I, you know, it's funny because, yes, the Phillies need center field help and Marsh can play center. But as you've known, I think both of you guys know for years, I respect Brandon Marsh. You know, he was part of my draft territory. He was in my neck of the draft in Georgia back in 2016, was a guy who kind of emerged that spring. So I liked him there. But I just think this guy's been overhyped as a prospect. Do you know what his career, career slugging percentage is in the major leagues? I, I know he's and he's not even that young. He's 24 now. His career slugging percentage in the, in the major leagues? Uh, 330. 354. But what's his career slugging percentage in the minor leagues? 377. No, 440. Yeah, way, way to go. I know you, you, you went low on me there. But outside <laughs> of, of hitting slugging 548 in the Pioneer League, he never hit for power in the minors. He was good in the fall league where everybody hits. And I just think he is what he is, which I, I think he's going to be better than a 239 hitter, uh, which, which is what he's been in the big league so far. But I think he's a guy who's going to hit like 270 with about 10 homers a year. Um, he doesn't walk very much. He's not an on-base guy. I think – the Angels absolutely fleeced the Phillies on this deal. Logan O'Hoppy, you know, wasn't a second-round pick, wasn't a prominent guy out of the draft. You know, he did play well in the, in the Fall League last year, and I think we all enjoyed talking to him. It was a good interview, too. But Logan O'Hoppy is like an everyday catcher uh, who's, I think, going to provide solid defense and hit. So I, I, when I saw this trade, and you, and you guys know, I think I said this on Slack, I, I, think, I think the Angels just totally schooled the Phillies there. And it was funny because on MLB Network – you know, and they, those guys have their opinion. They're talking about how, you know, Marsh is great. He fills the center field void. Great trade for Dave Dombrowski. I think this is one we're going to look back in three or four years and, and and say, why did they do that? And I know they have GT Real Muto, but GT Real Muto is 31. Catchers don't age particularly well. It's not like GT Real Muto is tearing it up. And I would have eased Ohapi in there over the next couple of years and had him be my catcher. I, I think they're going to regret this trade. So I thought that was – it wasn't one of the blockbusters, but kudos to the Angels – and Perry Manazian, I, I thought that was one of the best trades uh, of the deadline. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that hot of a take. Um, and it, you know, I love Brandon Marsh. And you know, I, I'm, I've long been higher on him than than you have, which is fine. Um, and, and he's also, by the way, a fantastic like guy to talk to. So on, on the same par. So uh, 
I like him, but I do think in a lot of ways you're right. I love Logan Ohapi. I, th- I think that he is going to be a very good big league regular uh, behind the plate. And not just because, well, someone's got to be, you know, some, there are a lot of, it's hard to find a legitimate number one catcher. You know, there just aren't that many of them. And I think that he, uh, he's going to be productive offensively. He's a very solid defender. Pitchers love throwing to him. Uh, So I think he's going to be better than what his numbers say. And his numbers are going to be pretty good once he gets there and probably sometime next year. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think this was a good trade for for the Angels, even if I like Brandon Marsh more than you do. You know, a, uh, a trade that ties into this one um, a, a little bit. Another Phillies Angels deal with the Phillies getting Noah Syndergaard from the Angels uh, for Mickey Moniak and Jadiel Sanchez um, ties in because the same two teams. Uh, you got. Mickey Moniak going from the Phillies to the Angels, another outfielder there, uh, and subject of one of your $25,000 wagers. Uh, well, both guys <laughs> in that wager got traded at the deadline or around yep. the deadline. Yep. Yeah. So new life for, uh, for both of them. We'll see how that impacts the deal, which is career war. Uh, who will have the higher career war between Mickey Moniak and Zach McKinstry? And the current I'm winning. I'm winning right now. Negative zero point seven to negative zero point nine. That's something to be proud of. Barn <laughs> well, my guy, my guy was a thirty yes. third rounder in the draft when your guy went one one. So I am proud. Well, I'm we, proud we, of my we, we Zach McKinstry. We, we were in, we were in handicapping this based on where they were drafted. No, so but at the time I brought it up, I, I, at the time I brought it up, it was in the context of I, I'm very bullish on Zach McKinstry. And I, I said at the time, I thought he was going to be a better player. We were, for some reason, we are talking about Mickey Moniak in the same podcast. And I said I would take Zach McKinstry over Mickey Moniak while they were both in the minors. So I will pound that table still. I'm going to have to go out to Wrigley Field and cheer for Zach McKinstry now. I, I am hoping that Mickey Moniak returning home to Southern California is going to breathe new life and he's going to get a new, new opportunity. He can't hit worse than 129 in, in Anaheim, can he? I mean, I guess we can find out. He hit 091 in Philadelphia last year, so maybe. Got a 40% strikeout rate in the big leagues. Uh, that is not going to go down as a very good number one overall pick. And what's crazy, we've taught, we don't have to belabor Mickey Moniak. But, no, uh, but at the time, man. like, and it's funny because now there's revisionist history. There were guys putting 70s on his bat, and he's, he's never been that player in the minors. It's crazy. He's hitting 310 this year in AAA or wherever he's been. He hasn't played a lot. One of two number one overall picks traded yesterday. Can can you weed through all the trades from yesterday and think of who the other one was? Boy. It must have been a big leaguer, right? It was. Um, Another not-so-great number one overall pick. Kind, kind of similar, I would say. Uh, although, But this guy's turned into a valuable big leaguer, not in the way you would have expected him to. In yesterday's wow. trades, or was it a pre? Well, was it? Uh, let's. I don't know when this one happened. Out. Let's see. <laughs> I'm confused. I don't. Yeah, know it was. It was. It was the. It was the day before, but it was Matt Bush. Oh, there you go. Oh, Matt Bush. So, right. It's funny. I just. I just scrolled up and looking through the prospects moves for the deadline, but I would. I would not have gotten there fast enough. All right. Does that does that cover all of our top 100 prospects who were traded? Uh, 
I believe so. I think it does. All right. Uh, so. well, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's talk about which systems you think improved the most in terms of their addition of prospects over the trade deadline period. Um, obviously, we've talked about uh, the teams that, that pulled in a big haul of players and we talked about the Nats, uh, talked about the Reds, uh, talked about the A's. Is there anyone else uh, that, that you think uh, did particularly well in terms of the young talent that they added? I mean, to me, the red. Go ahead, go ahead Jim, because I'm, yeah. I'm still gathering. <laughs> okay, thoughts. I was going to say two that aren't nearly at the same level. I, I like. I know it was painful for the Orioles to trade Trey Mancini. I like the fact they got Seth Johnson. I know he needs Tommy John surgery, but he was a supplemental first round pick with a good arm who's performed well in the minors. Chase McDermott has been striking out a ton of guys in his first full pro season. They got him from the Astros in that deal. They got Cade Povich in, this, in the Orhe Lopez trade. I thought they they, they did a, a nice job of adding some pitching depth. Not, I mean, the Orioles already had a good system, so that's not vaulting them up to the top of the, you know, putting them over the top or, or anything. I, I guess we had them ranked number one being the season when they still counted Adley Rutschman. And then I kind of liked when I was talking before about trading relievers to get prospects. I liked what the Cubs did. Like, kind of again, not these these weren't headline making moves. But they trade David Robertson, who's like 8,000 years old and not going to be part of the next Cubs contender, to the Phillies. And they got Ben Brown, who has a chance to be a mid-rotation starter. He's pitching very well this year. He's completely recovered from Tommy John surgery. You can give a shout-out. Jonathan, I stole this line from you because you wrote up Ben Brown for the Phillies. Um, but they got Ben Brown in the 33rd round out, out, out of high school and Logan O'Hoppy in the 23rd round out of high school, both Long Island kids. Back-to-back drafts, same area scout, Alex Agostino. Um, and both those guys look like they're going to be good picks. And not only did the Cubs get Ben Brown, who could be a, a potential starter for them, a couple days earlier they traded Scott Efros, who has a ton of control remaining for the Yankees, but they got Hayden Wisniewski, who's really, really good. Um, I would have liked the A's deal better if Hayden Wisniewski had somehow been the second player in that deal. But Hayden Wisniewski is nearly a big league-ready starter. And then, of course, going back to last week, since we are talking about Zach McKinstry, they turned Chris Chris Martin into Zach McKinstry. So I like the Cubs making I, – I know people are wondering, what, why not Wilson Contreras? Why not Ian Happ? Why didn't they do more? But I think they did make some nice moves with their relievers. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I, you know, the It's, it's funny because it, it barely was a blip yesterday uh, because I think not only you know are the Royal – for me, not only are the Royals not my team, but I think every trade they made – and I'm checking – no, that's not true. They actually that the you know when they got Drew Waters, it was the Braves. But I thought, I thought, I thought you know, all the trades they made were not with teams I did. So like it, it barely registered. And after yesterday, you know, it's all kind of a blur. But uh, I know what did you think, Jim? It's like with nothing earth shattering. But they added seven guys to their top thirty list. So again, that was a more volume over you know any names that jump off the page they got three good arms but, from the yankees i mean those were my guys in the benintendi yeah, trade. yeah i mean that for for in the benintendi trade and you know they got they got drew waters and uh, who you know has some upside but obviously there's some some issues in andrew hoffman for for a draft pick and um and and then you know they you know, for Whit Merrifield, they 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 got a couple of interesting players from 
from the Blue Jays. So I, I thought that was solid for them, given what they had to, you know, what they were offering up. Yeah, I think the Reds and the Royals were the two teams that added seven players to their top 30 prospects list. Jonathan, I know you are currently working on a story that kind of puts into context where this vast haul of prospects that uh, the Nats got for Juan Soto ranks among the biggest prospect hauls uh, that we've ever seen in, in trades like this. Can you uh, give us, give us some, uh, give us a little sneak peek at your, your story, which uh, will probably be up on MLB.com slash pipeline, uh, but close to the time that people are listening to this. Wow. Some pressure there, Jonathan, you got to get that story done. Well, I will, I was going <laughs> to say the one correction I will make is that I am no longer working on it. Um, so other people are working on getting it up on the site. Oh, there we go. Uh, so I look forward to, I look forward to, to seeing it. Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of fun. Uh, and like, I think my main fear whenever you, you sort of dive into something like this is that you're going to miss a trade somewhere. And I went back, you know, and it was not just deadline deals. I looked at, you know, winter meeting, um, winter meeting trades and, uh, you know, and off season trades. So let's uh, just sort of looking at overall prospect calls and not, I think that the, the, the trick is not to, look at the ones from a while ago and say, well, how did the prospects pan out? Because then how can you possibly put a trade from yesterday into context? So it was more about the buzz created when at the time of the trade uh, and, you know, trying to not have that sort of hindsight bias that comes with a you know, trade. Uh, so, you know, the Juan Soto trade went at the top. I don't I think that would surprise anybody given the return. But like the number two trade I went with was when the Rangers sent Mark Teixeira to the Braves in 2007 and got Elvis Andrews, Neftali Feliz, Matt Harrison, and Jairus Sotolamakia. And that trade looks really good in hindsight uh, even more, even if Matt Harrison uh, didn't sort of wasn't quite as good as people thought he might be, but like Feliz climbed into the top 100, um, and uh, you know Saltalamakia went from from being a top 50 guy into being you know a good starting catcher. You know, so uh, but again, uh, just putting a pause on that when when the trade was made, it seemed like the Rangers were getting a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good return. Uh, for, you know, for for that, and then the third uh, was the Chris Sale trade, which was in December 2016. And if you know, people I'm sure remember, it wasn't that long ago when the White Sox in their rebuilding mode got Yoan uh, uh, Moncada, Michael Kopech, Luis Alexander Basabe, and Victor Diaz. Kopech was top 100, but the, the thing that really makes it stand out is that Yoan Moncada was the, our number one prospect. And it's the, like the only time in ever, uh, or you know, in twenty five years it had been or so that a top prospect, uh, obviously long before we were doing uh, our, our prospect rankings, but before you know, a number one overall prospect had been involved in a trade. So uh, that's the top three for you. Yeah, that uh, 
White Sox deal, December of 2016, just uh, seven months before another one of their trades that is on this list, uh, dealt Jose Quintana. We get uh, Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that story. That'll be coming up soon. Uh, We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to answer some of your questions, your deadline-related questions in the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to this trade deadline edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff, and we are going to wrap this thing up as we always do by taking a question or two or in this instance, three from the mailbag, a little extended, expanded version of the mailbag this week for you. And well, if we're going to have an expanded mailbag, there's almost no way that Stevie D is not going to be in it. We'll lead off with him. Stevie D Ailes 97 on Twitter asks, with the Juan Soto and Josh Bell trade happening, how does the Nationals farm system rank with the new crop of prospects entering their system? So I guess some context, do you, do you guys know where they ranked in our preseason rankings? I'm going to say pretty low. I do. 23rd. Okay. And we are, of course, in the process of doing our midseason re-rank and pretty early in that process, uh, a lot to do in a short period of time here. So I don't know that you guys really would have had much time to really consider farm system rankings at this point. But uh, we, we have not. I, I will speak for <laughs> both of us. I yeah, hope, hope I'm not yes, out of turn. You, you, but, you may. But we, I've no. spent 0.0% of my time worrying about farm system rankings to this point. All right. So this will be a but well we can answer the question. Answer. But no, no. But we, we, I actually did look at this. I, I looked at the infamous prospect points as a shorthand. I mean, there's two things to remember here. One, C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore don't count as prospects. Yeah. So that's that's huge. If those guys count as prospects, it would be different. Two, I'm actually surprised we had him ranked as high as 23rd because I don't think there's a lot of de- depth in that system, and there's still not a ton of depth. They have. Uh, you know, added, you know, three pretty interesting prospects who all rank in their top eight now to their system. To me, Jonathan, you know, I, I think it's more top heavy than deep. Um, they, they added Christian Vaccaro as well. We're, we're, you know, and I guess, are we counting? They got Elijah Green. I mean, that's going to help. But to me, it's a middle of the pack system. I, I don't think this is a top 10 system still. I think it is significantly improved through the trade, through adding the number five pick in the draft. Um, it's not like they've had a lot of guys in the system have breakout years and up their stock. So I'm just going to give a general middle of the pack rather than top 10 farm system. I, I think that's fair. And you kind of expanded on the parameters, you know, so Stevie was kind of just asking about 
trade return. So I don't know adding That's live stream, but I, I think you know. But I do think that. Uh, yeah, if you told me they end up around fifteen or so, I think that's probably fair given what they what they got. And as you pointed out, if Abrams and Gore were still prospects, it would be a different you know different conversation. Okay, next question comes from Ant Man underscore ninety two, who uh, is also a repeat question asker. Uh, Jim, I believe you mentioned before we started recording. Yeah, I was extolling the the. I was extolling the virtues of Sean Antman, who I think I might be out turn. I think he might be Canadian like Stevie D. Um, but he had a great question in last week's Pipeline Inbox about the best sibling prospect duos in MLB Pipeline history, which I also expanded into the best sibling prospects in draft history. But he's he's bringing it again with a strong question for the second week in a row. So so hit us with that one. All right. So uh, Antman92 asks, who is the most underrated prospect? That was traded this deadline. Hmm. It's, it's, I'm going to pull a Jim Callis and give you two names. Oh no! Um, but, but very quickly, one is you know from from that team. Might, you know, uh, Spencer Steer might be underrated a bit, even though he's a top ten prospect and might get top one hundred consideration when we when we re rank. I think he can really hit. Uh, you know, the power continues to show up, and he doesn't strike out. So that's the sort of one that dropped come to mind. And then I think after that, like a guy that wasn't mine, but it intrigues me more and more is Yarlis Susana now with the, with the nationals uh, just because of the, the size and the, and the arm strength that as guys so young, they're, you know, touching triple digits and he's 18 years old. He just signed in, in January, um, We'll see what happens. Long way to go. A lot could go wrong. A lot could go right. But I think we may look back at that, and that may be one of those, like, oh, the Nationals got him then because people will have forgotten, except that it was the one Soto trade, so maybe not. I'm going to go much deeper on, on Sam's top 47 list. Um, I'm actually intrigued by prospects 43 through 45, but I'm going to go with prospect 32 on Sam's list, number 26 on our Dodgers top 30. Nick Frasso, who, Jonathan, I, I want to say when he was at Loyola Marymount going into his draft year, which was the pandemic season, th- I think there was some first round buzz on him, wasn't there? And then, and then he got hurt. Um, you're expecting me to remember the draft from two years ago. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I put you on the spot there. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, I, I will I will go ahead and, and, and claim then. I, I, I do believe there was some first round buzz on Nick Frasso. He strained his forearm during the pandemic season, wound up having Tommy John surgery last year after the Blue Jays made him a fourth-round pick. They sent him to Dodgers yesterday along with uh, Moise Brito for Mitch White and Alex DeJesus. And he came back – so he had Tommy John last June. He came back 11 months later. He's been up to 100 this summer, sitting 95-97. His slider and his changeup are both mid-'80s pitches. They need more consistency, but they've got the potential to become solid, and they'll, they'll even flash plus – so I, I think this is a, a great – I don't even know projects are a fair word because he's already shown the stuff. But the yeah, Dodgers do. just do such a nice job developing. And to get, a, get their hands on an arm like Nick Frasso, uh, I'm very curious to see what they do with him. So that was kind of my, my sneaky, good, way under the radar pickup yesterday. All right. I'll, I'll throw out a couple, of, a couple other names, a few other names, just strictly based on – uh, where Sam Dykstra has them ranked in the uh, 47 prospects that he ranked. 
and also where they were ranked on their old list and where they're ranked on their new one, which of course, um, you know, you're comparing two different systems. So it's not uh, sort of an equal trade trade-off there in terms of where, where they rank. But uh, Estuary Ruiz uh, went from the Padres to the Brewers. He's number 12 on Sam's list, was number 28 on the Padres list, number nine on the Brewers list, and uh, is part of what has suddenly become a very exciting uh, outfield in at AAA Nashville, where he joins. Who's there? Uh, Freilich, Mitchell, Joey Weaver. and Weaver. Yeah, so that's a uh, a crowded outfield there. Ben Brown. I thought one of you was going to mention Ben yeah. Brown here. Well, we mentioned him earlier. I didn't feel like I needed to circle back to him. Okay, all right. We, fine. we gave him and Alex Agostino the area scout love for for drafting him and Logan Ohapi. All right, and then. Uh, Back way goes from number 21 on the Yankees list to number 12 on the Royals list. And then uh, one guy who was unranked uh, on the Blue Jays list and is now number 13 on the uh, Royals list is Max Castillo. All right. Uh, final question comes from R. Fletcher 247. How do you think the Reds did overall? In a word, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as Jonathan said, well, I mean, we, we said earlier, I think they did better for Luis Castillo than we might have imagined. And I like the three guys they got in the Tyler Molly trade. Um, I feel like they did. They got Victor Acosta, who's a super international, I mean, super international. He is super international. A super interesting international prospect from this year's crop. They got him from Brandon Drury. Um, I, I thought the Reds, you know, even beyond the Castillo trade did very well. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think, uh, I think, you know, set it up with the, with the huge blockbuster and you know, who they got in Castillo, you know, and we may see a Reds infield with Marte at third and Arroyo at shortstop. And uh, <laughs> that'll be a good, good return right there. And then they got a bunch of other interesting guys. They had seven, they had seven guys to their top 30. Um, I think was a pretty, uh, a, a very good job by, by the Reds front office during this deadline period. All right, well, thank you to R. Fletcher247, Antman92, and StevieDales97 for those questions. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to wrap up this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.